Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the tree. Stop and hear what I say. Come on in, y'all. Come around to the backyard. We're going to be talking about outdoor living this hour at Rosie on the house. Come in. Take a deep breath through your nose. Exhale through your mouth. Release the pressure, the anxiety, and the worries of the world that are stored up in your head, your brain, your neck, and let them go. Because you are in every Arizona homeowner's happy place. Good morning. We're here to talk about only things that you love. Yourself and your home. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can give us a ring at one 767 4348 Let's see if we can bring in our special guest this hour. We always bring in Mr. John Eisenhower from Save a Tree. John, good morning, sir. Good morning. We're talking about all things green today as well. Uh, all right. <laughs> all things green. And you brought in special guest Sarah Maitland. I did. Sarah Maitland is my good friend and colleague in the, the tree industry, registered consulting arborist, and a wonderful sales rep at Save a Tree here in Phoenix. And she's uh, uh, sharing the microphone with us today. And I'm glad to have her here. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Rosie. How are your holidays? Wonderful. I got some rest. Oh, man, that's great. <laughs> good, good. We want you rested up for the show. Bring it all for our Arizona listeners. Again, if you'd like to join the conversation, the number's one 767 4348 We'd love to hear about your trees and the questions you might have about planting, fertilizing, nurturing, and trimming those trees. And you have a particular tree in mind you'd like to start the conversation off with, eh, John? We do. Our tree of the month is the eucalyptus papuana. How about that for your botanical name? Uh, it's the ghost gum eucalyptus tree. And it's a particular interest because... All I heard in that title was dirty. <laughs> no. Interestingly, no, that's why I this... thought every eucalyptus was just dirty. No, they're not. In okay. fact, there's a, there's a lot of eucalyptus trees that grow really well here. There's about 13 variety that are pretty common and commonly available at the nurseries, and this uh, this ghost gum, they call okay. it, um, is kind of ghostly in appearance because it has a brilliant white bark, smooth white bark, and it's in contrast to a beautiful, you know, dark greenish uh, leaf, and they're relatively low litter. I love it. There's a couple of eucalyptus trees like the spathiolata and this papuana that are pretty low 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 leaf uh, litter uh, eucalyptus trees. I didn't know God made one of those. They do. Okay. Yeah, that's why they're so popular. <laughs> okay, and, I bet. And, and they and they don't grow real big and they're a little little slower growing than than your uh, your camaldulensis or some of your your fast really super fast growing tall uh, uh, eucalyptus. And uh no, it's a one of those kind of uh more unusual ukes, but they are commonly available. In fact, I think Sarah did a little bit of research on availability, and what did you find out? Well, I, I called Paul Chambers out at Australian Outback, and he grows eucalyptus um, all the time, and he feeds a lot of koala bears and, and does some wonderful things. He does have these available. He does sell them through Lowe's, or you can go to his website, australianoutback.com, and you can set up an appointment to visit his place. 
Um, it's just extraordinary if you've never seen it. And he said that you can get a 24-inch box tree retail for about $170, and it comes in at about 9 feet, and in 5 to 6 years, you've got a 30-foot tree. And the thing that I love the most about this and, and what Paul was sharing with me is they don't really even start to grow until it gets 100 degrees. That's when they really start to grow. And with our temperatures getting hotter and hotter and hotter every year, this might be the new tall tree for Phoenix and Arizona. Interesting. Now, you say you could go visit the outback. Where where generally is this located? I, I think it's in Tonopah, okay. or it's out out I-10 West. Okay. Um, but you have to go online and make an appointment, and they'll contact you. Um, but the yeah. But with our temperatures, we have to think about, you know, we're losing all these big trees due to the, the temperatures. Um, this might be a new raptor tree. You know, we've got to replace those big canopies with trees for... So for a buck and a quarter, a buck and a half, you're picking up a tree that can be seven to nine feet tall that in, in, in a decade or less can be 30 feet tall. In five to six years. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty good buy. It is. It is, and they they grow a little taller than they are wide. So you're going to have this more of a, a vertical appearance in the landscape. That's why they get to those those heights pretty quickly. It's not going to be your big sh- you know canopy shading tree right away. It's going to have to get quite a bit taller before you get the width that you want if you're looking for that kind of shade cover. But yeah, no, they're a really desirable tree, and and there's a beautiful specimen at about 40th Street and Broadway at the Maricopa County Extension Office. Yeah. And they're just beautiful. They, they they have this amazing white bark, and it's very, very smooth. You'll see them sometimes along the freeways in Southern California, especially in San Diego. There's stretches of the freeway there where there's just dozens of these, and they're really obvious uh, because they have that beautiful, uh, brilliant white bark. It's not just a, a light-colored, cream-colored bark. It's a brilliant white bark, and that kind of sets them apart from uh, other ukes you might see. Well, I like eucalyptus. I really do. I, I love the tree. I just don't love it in my yard or my neighbor's yard. Yeah. If it, if it's four <laughs> doors down, that's just perfect. Or if it's in the park or where somebody else is taking care of it. But if this is a low litter uke, I could I could have a new favorite tree. Yeah, no, they uh, the, the bigger eucalyptus trees like the Camaldulensis, the um, they're the river gums, they're just they are a litter machine. They just dump leaves all the time and yeah, if you live anywhere near one, we used to say we'd rather have no wind at all which means very little leaf drop or a lot of wind. So the wind, the, the leaves go all the way past your house, <laughs> there you go. down the street, there you to, go. to the neighbors, somewhere down the block. All right. We're it's here the, with John. problem tree. <laughs> We're here with John and Sarah from Save a Tree Talking Trees, and we've got a caller. We'd like to bring Mike into the conversation, calling from Mesa. Good morning, Mike. Let me introduce you to John and Sarah. What, what tree issue are you dealing with this morning? How can we help you, my friend? Well, we've got a couple of palm trees that are starting to buckle the wall, so we're going to have those cut. Um, I was wondering about the ramifications of leaving the stump. Will it grow back? Will it attract termites, or what's the deal? Well, the, the, the stump, yeah, once the tree's down, the stump will, will die. The palm will, will not recover. The roots will stop growing and encroaching on the wall, so that's a good um uh, a good uh, a good thing to do is get those palms out because they do the, that that stump will continue to get wider and wider and wider and and compress the soil between the tree and the wall and eventually the wall will give way. 
but the the uh, I wouldn't be too concerned about the the stump attracting uh, termites. If you have termites in your area, they're going to be there regardless of whether that one stump is in your yard or not. The other thing is that um, palm tree stumps are are very fibrous and very easy to remove. So you know, getting a stump grinder in there uh, to knock that stump out, you could do that in a in a in a, under an hour's time with a, a good stump grinder. Also, uh, interestingly, palms if you Dig around uh, uh, the outside of the the perimeter of that stump. Uh, dig down a few inches below grade. You can sometimes get a chainsaw in and actually cut slightly below grade. You know, you you have to. There's a technique of plunging the the the, the chainsaw bar uh, uh, into the directly into the the stump, like a, in, injecting it into the side, and then you just kind of carve around it. And we've actually taken that entire stump out just a few inches below grade. And then you're able to just simply cover this the the, the tree over, or cover the stump over with the with the soil. Um, so that's a, a possibility. It's a lot easier to do that with a palm than it is with a normal tree. So that might be another option for you to avoid having the cost of a of getting a stump grinder in there. Now, Mike, let me ask you this: When the palm tree is gone, what happens with that area? I'm leaving it blank. Okay. All right. Well, good. But I may make a uh, table out of the stump. Yeah, you could. Yeah, if 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 you got a a spot back there and you and you you like that area, do you want to leave the stump at four you know forty inches of, of height and actually put a tabletop on it? You could even consider doing that. I know a lot of people have tried that as uh, successfully. All right, Mike. We appreciate the call. I can tell you, we've had to remove several palm trees for room additions we've done in the past, and it seems to me. Uh, if you don't want to deal with the caving in area over the years forward, because the the root will decompose, the the, yeah. the ball will decompose, and it'll kind of create like a little crater. If you don't want to deal with that, go ahead and get the whole thing out of there. Get now it out and yeah, back, and backfill and, it and backfill. Yeah, don't backfill with the uh, the the stump grindings because they tend to be just fibrous and full of a lot of air. You want to dig that all that stump material out and the, and the grindings, and then replace it with uh, with the common soil. And Rose, you always talk about how far people should plant from the home. You guys could kind of address that so people don't end up in that situation where they have to, you know, remove them because they're too close to the house. How far out should they be? Yeah, so many of our our, mm-hmm. our, our tree removals are due to the fact that, that trees were planted too close to a hardscape element or to the building. But you want to uh, consider the, the mature height and spread of the tree and get a adequate distance away. If that tree is going to be 20 feet in diameter um, in its, uh, you know, with the, the final canopy size, well, you would need to be at least 10 feet away from the house be, to be able to make sure that you're not constantly having to do roof clearance. Uh, but even a little beyond that is going to give you a little bit more security. But sometimes it's hard because people want to get that immediate shade on the south and west side, so they'll put the <laughs> trees as close to the to the window as they can to get that immediate shade uh, to that surface. But then within three or four years, you, know, you realize, oh, my goodness, we've planted it too close. So, yeah, push it out. Consult an arborist, too. It all is the distance from the, the, the building or your hardscape is depending on the, dependent on the mature size of the tree. And also species dependent, too, because some species are very ag- aggressive rooting, and you want to get those you know, uh, even further away from the home so that you don't have those, that root encroachment uh, occurring. I was at a client's home just yesterday in Paradise Valley and looking at a, a room addition that an Aleppo pine would have to be eliminated. And it's an area that hadn't received a lot of 
sufficient watering for this pine. So the roots were literally crawling along the surface. I mean, it had like six roots the size of my thigh. Yeah. And one of them, you could see, went right up to the foundation of the home, turned <laughs> 90 degrees, went underneath another corner of the home, and came out the other side. Wow. Yeah. So, and that tree was 15 feet from the foundation, but, it's a, but now it's a 60-foot-tall Aleppo. Yeah, I've got a couple of big Aleppos in my front yard, too, and one of them's about four feet from my wall. But, you know, it's we're still doing okay. It hasn't lifted the whole corner of the house yet. Now, now you're not going to plant a palm for shade, uh, but you do have to realize the, long, the longer it grows, the bigger that bottom ball gets. Well, I want to talk a little bit about that issue, maybe with some other trees, because I think we can cheat it a little bit with some trees. And then your root barrier trick is a pretty good one too we'll talk about that when we get back with john and sarah from save a tree here at rosie on the house oh that sounds that sounds very anxiety free right there let it roll gary that sounds good every arizona homeowner's happy place my house, Rosie on the house, with John Eisenhower and Sarah Maitland from Save a Tree. Joining us this morning, talking trees, we were finishing a conversation about how close a tree should be planted to your home. And Sarah, you brought up a point offline during the break. I think we need to cover online for the benefit of our homeowners. Well, a lot of the utility companies, especially I know that I teach classes for SRP, um, will give away free trees to homeowners. And you have to go take a class or you can do it online and um, you'll get a free tree. And it's based on, you know, some people get two trees, but they're really nice trees. They have five varieties, um, the Little Leaf, the Blue Palo Verde, um, the Chilean Mesquite, um, the Willow Acacia, and also the Desert Willow. And so one of the things that they do request if you get the free tree is that you plant it within 15 feet of your house. Okay. And that's the advantage uh, that would give you the shade and, and the cooling, um, you know, for air conditioning. And so long term, that's what they want you to do. Um, it, it's questionable, though. You've got to really be careful with that 15 foot, especially with the Chilean mesquite. I, you know, I, I'll tell you how me, the carpenter, me, the concrete finisher, me, the roofer, the half jack of all trades, tells people, picture the drip line of the tree at full maturity. And you want that canopy to be five feet away from your house. That's going to pretty well keep the roots controlled at that point, isn't it? Am I close? John, John, yeah. John said... No, Carpenters I, and cement finishers shouldn't be giving advice on this. <laughs> well, and, and SRP and APS are, are wanting to get the, that immediate value. That's why yes. they want you to, to bring the tree close enough to the house so that, when, that it will be providing that shade uh, more quickly. And maybe that, that there's something to be said for that. You know, say you do, instead of pushing it so far out of the way that you never have any problem with root encroachment or roof clearance issues, um, what if you do pull it inside that radius? And say, hey, look, I'm willing to put up with the, the headaches of, of, of having to do some occasional roof clearance because I want that tree on that north or southwest corner of the house to provide some shade to that window right there. So, you know, maybe you, you, you live with that 
potential of having that those difficulties. I think you just have to understand that you're that, that's the risk you're taking, bringing that larger tree closer to the house, and maybe to the, the to the, the the pavers on on the driveway or that sidewalk. Um, I'm speaking of which, there's other solutions for that. You know, uh, you you've saved a couple of trees. We've put additions right up next to with the with the a root, root, barrier. Root, root barrier. Yeah, we put in a root barrier. You can trench in along the edge of your of the of the hardscape that you're trying to protect, and drop a root barrier. It's a it's a usually polypropylene material, usually 80 mil thick. We drop it down into a trench two or three feet deep, and it's a, a sheet of this very strong. Uh, uh, material that lasts forever in the soil, and it will, will any any. It's really a root deflector because the roots are going to hit it. The roots will grow up against it, but they'll have to either turn sideways or turn down. But you usually put the trench deep enough so that when the roots get to the bottom of it, should they try to get underneath it, there's not enough oxygen for, to encourage any kind of root development or growth at that depth of soil. So usually they hit the barrier and they just they're just going to grow sideways one way or the other. So it's a really great little. Uh, solution for those you know confined areas and if you just don't have the room for a tree another thing that we've done that's worked very well is just get a there's a number of companies that you can buy an iron trellis from a lot of them will just weld it together out of rebar some of them get very decorative and then you plant you you install that a couple feet off the foundation of the home and then plant vines and help the vines grow in the trellis and it creates like a shade screen so you've got a much smaller root, root structure that's close to the foundation, less watering requirements, water into foundation and cement, you know, deteriorates it a lot over time. So that's great. If you're really limited on space, some kind of vine trellis to yeah, use as a shade some, wall. Yeah, we've seen some really great shade walls and, and that's a, a really good solution. Again, it goes back to tree species. You know, if you if you put a nice um, a screen of, of, of sour oranges, they'll do the very same thing without even having to install the trellis, put in some sour oranges. They never uh, get so aggressive that those roots start causing problems with your hardscape around them. So those are, you know, again, species selections, the, the, the thing. And, consult- and, and structural pruning. You know, you can tell a tree which direction to grow. You can, you can, you can. Trees are a lot like real estate. Location, location, location. <laughs> yeah, no, you can prune a tree to grow up and over a house over time. It's structural pruning. If you'd like to join the conversation with ISA Certified Arborist Sarah Maitland and John Eisenhower, it's one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. When you hear the auto attendant, just hit number one to bypass the message, and that'll get you right into the studio. Text can also be sent to 411-923. Deborah's joined us at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. See if we can help her in the proper tree selection for a little privacy screen. Good morning, Deborah. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your situation. You're looking for a privacy screen. How t- how tall of a barrier do we need? Well, my my backyard backs up to an apartment community, and the the wall is eight foot, and that's not even tall enough. My landscaper suggested a sisal tree, and he said if I were to water it every day, it would grow very quickly and give me the privacy that I need. Well, he's right in that it will grow, 
<laughs> but I'll, I'll let these guys explain the, the long-term issue we have with sissus in Arizona. Yeah, sissy trees uh, are popular because they do achieve their landscape purpose very, very quickly. But you soon have a tiger by the tail. You have a tree that you you probably won't be able to control. The rooting is the is the problem. It has a very, very aggressive rooting. And any hardscape uh, that's anywhere close to them is going to be disturbed. If you have any irrigation, any drip irrigation, any lawn irrigation, it will invade that water area and create little pockets, little satellites of, of heavy root material that will uh, be independent of the trunk of the tree. So they will grow forever. And uh, they, they, they're very, very problematic. So I, I would ver- um, think very cautiously about using a sissy tree. There are other vigorous trees that, that would be, uh, you know, that could accomplish the same purpose. Um, if you wanted a tall tree to give you some good vertical uh, um, height right away, maybe the willow acacia or the shoestring acacia would be good ones. And they're not quite as aggressive rooting. Uh, again, uh, depending on the height that you require, if you really do need something significantly above that eight-foot height real quick, citrus probably is not going to be a real good solution for you because uh, they're going to only probably ever get to maybe 15 or 20 feet of height at the very height, uh, the, the highest uh, maximum height. Uh, so maybe a, a, a couple of trees would be your way to go, but plant them tight, you know, close together. Sarah has a, had a suggestion, too, that might be... Well, the Texas ebony is a nice tree um, that can be grown into hedges also, but it's evergreen, so it's going to be a constant, um, you know, blockage or or barrier for you. Yeah, be careful not to get a deciduous tree because you've got your screening <laughs> until it drops its leaves in the winter, and then all of a sudden you see through. So be sure it's an evergreen, of course. And my memories, I'm having a hard time putting it all together, but I swear I heard somewhere on the radio something about a ghost gum, a eucalyptus <laughs> that gets like, you can get it at like eight feet tall and it'll be 30 feet tall in five go. years. Yes, yeah. it, along with the, the willow acacia and, and the uh, shoestring acacia, that, that uh, eucalyptus papuana might be a, a good choice for you. Yeah, we, we have a, an, another customer of ours who put five eucalyptus, not ghost gums, but ones that are similar to those, I think it was a microtheca, and they put five of those together uh, on about 10-foot centers, and they provide a pretty nice screening at about 20 feet of height because they, they, the, from where the, 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 our customer views the trees, he can't even see the bottom 10 or 12. They're, they're down slope, so he can't even see the, the bottom 10 or 15 feet of the trunk, but it's that, that canopy and that 15 feet and up that they wanted this the screening for so yeah good, you, good would call, use, you would really need a, a substantial area for the roots to grow so that's another thing to consider when you're planting some kind of a barrier like that is make sure you have room for the roots so what i would tell you deborah is write all those down and we'll make sure you got all those names correctly you can also listen back on the podcast at rosieonthehouse.com and write all those down you're in peoria uh elgin tree nursery is there off a of 10 and about i think it's like 83rd avenue so walk in there with that list, have them show you these trees, decide which one you would is, is most aesthetically pleasing to you. You mentioned earlier also the, the, the possibility of putting a building a trellis. We have a couple of customers who've done just what you said. They brought in a welder who, who came in and custom built, not at a, a great deal of expense. You can use some pretty uh, salvaged metal, even rebar, to build a framework uh, that it goes up above that eight foot wall to a twenty foot height, say, uh, with some, and then and then grow vines up, 
and it's it's provided again a really easy a simple solution and a lot less work uh than uh and, and in terms of the rooting space you don't need to be supporting a large tree uh at root system you can simply be watering those vines as you normally would it does take us several years uh, like at some of the bus stops on the on on our metro system here in town you'll see those vines that are growing up those uh, those trellises that they built along those bus stops. Provide- give, give her the name of three evergreen vines. Oh, Lady Banks Rose. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, well, I cat, would start with that. And because- cat, cat Claw's another. It's really aggressive rooting, but it's it's a super uh, durable desert vine. Um, Anything else yeah. you can think of? Bougainvillea is another one. There you go. Okay, so there's there's three other good options. We appreciate the call, one 767 That's one 888 for you. We are going to talk about decidu- uh, pruning deciduous trees, but real quick, we're going to sneak Scott into the program. We were talking Aleppo Pines earlier, and he's got a question on his. Welcome, Scott. Yes, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a, about a 60-foot Aleppo Pine, about a 3-foot base, and about five feet up, there's a branch that has grown out uh, about, I'm going to say, 40 feet off the side. It's, it's uh, The dress of the tree goes up about 60 feet, and this thing is a very big branch. And I'm wondering if I would cut that off if the tree would live. It's only, it starts at about five feet from the bottom. And and then it the branch branches off and it hangs way out and I just think it's throwing the tree off a of balance or something and it's all overhanging my power line coming into my house. Mm, okay, well you want to keep clearance to your power lines for sure, but what you want to look at is the overall canopy and you know will that bring that out of balance? Um, the other thing we think about when we cut big limbs is trees um, kind of compartmentalize, they cover over their wounds, and the bigger the wound, the longer it takes to really recover from that. Um, pines are pretty susceptible to city canker, and so that's a, a just an avenue for that to get into the tree. Um, but I, I think that they they just have that growth habit. You know, that's the natural growth habit of an Aleppo pine is to be decurrent. Yeah, and those... That's Those. a that's a polite word for it. <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. every Aleppo pine over ten years old is got a, is living a bad hair day. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 big litter producers too. But that that large of a pruning cut on a mature tree like that is is a an entry point for decay fungi to get into that large wound. It would have been nice to have taken that branch out, you know, years and years ago when it was smaller, because then the tree, as Sarah said, could compartmentalize that injury more easily. And the uh, so to open that uh, tree to a large pruning uh, wound like that would be pretty hard for the tree to recover from. The other thought would be to avoid those large pruning cuts. What we'll often do is take that 40-foot branch and make some significant reduction cuts from the out, from, you know, out from the tip of the branch, cutting back to an appropriate lateral branch, and really thin it out heavily. That would be better than to be having to go back and make a drastic large uh, diameter pruning cut of 12, 15, 18 inches in diameter. That's pretty uh, hard on, on, on trees to sustain that kind of a wound this late in the game. We appreciate the call. You can get a hold of John or Sarah, have somebody come out and look at it and see if this is something we can properly do without uh, damaging the tree. 
Savatree.com, and that's S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E.com. Yep, you got it. All right, let's get into pruning deciduous trees. We've got uh, my ash trees, my pecan trees. I've no leaves left. It's time to start whacking away. Yeah, you know, we were discussing pruning uh, earlier today and just how important it is to be um, aware of the species. Of course, the deciduous trees get pruned in the winter, and that's going to be a little bit different um, in Flagstaff than it is here in Phoenix. Uh, you know, what you normally do is uh, for the ideal time to prune is count about four to six weeks back from the very last average day of frost. You know, your freezing temperature. So in Flagstaff, that might be, you know, somewhere in the middle of March to early April. It would be an ideal time to be doing that kind of winter pruning before your tree is going to be um, budding in the spring. And the uh, uh, here in Phoenix, there's already trees budding. Yeah, the ash, I was just at a house the other day, and the ash have already bloomed, and they're leafing out. And the, the um, flower is so insignificant on an ash, you can't even really see it. Um, but we have, The bees sure can. <laughs> the, on the north side where we've got a row of ash in the springtime, it, it's... You can just hear it buzzing for about three weeks. Yeah. Well, that's our our cue to spray mesquite trees for pods too. Is when you hear that buzz. (laughs) Well, yeah. The our uh, our we don't really have a dormancy to speak of. Sometimes, like this winter, very very little frost. So, what do we do? I mean, if 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 um, some of our shrubs that would normally freeze back, we usually wait until they freeze back, and then we prune them later in the spring. But what if you don't get a freeze and uh, a, a shrub that would normally freeze back to the ground that grows maybe three or four feet during an, a, a regular season, it's at, it's at four feet right now and it hasn't frozen back. Is there a chance that it will overwinter and get all the way through a, a winter season without a, fr- a freeze? Well, yes. And, you know, it's it's to our, your advantage to maybe keep that tree in the landscape, maybe let it grow to six or seven feet this year. And why why, why would you want to do that? Because next year, if it does freeze back, they freeze from the outside in, so it might only ever freeze back back to a four-foot height. So you'll be able to keep and preserve that tree in the landscape longer. So some of you are, are have some of your uh, um, Thavisha pruviana or your, your Tacoma stands, especially the Tacomas, that if they survive a winter without freezing back, they freeze back very, very hard, so you can prune them back uh, quite, quite pretty close to the ground. But if you get through a nice winter season like ours that's been mild, there's no reason you can't let that grow a couple of two or three seasons. We have some that are, are, you know, 10 and 12 feet tall right now. And I never have any risk. uh, I I never have any fear that I'm going to lose those trees entirely. They'll freeze back on a really hard freeze. But once they're mature and established in the landscape, uh, they're going to be able to bounce back. And that's the the key. So I would suggest if you haven't pruned – um, your some of those uh, more frost sensitive trees. Let them grow during this time. Don't be cutting them back unnecessarily, especially not uh, this early in the season. I had a a, a young man uh, texted me a picture earlier this week and said, "Hey, dude, did I over prune my, uh, my my citrus tree?" And I had to kind of catch my breath because one, it's not, <laughs> it's it's too it's too early in the season to be pruning your frost sensitive trees like citrus, your ficus, and others. They need to keep their winter coat uh, another another month or so because there is a yeah. risk of a late frost. 
Yeah, so, and also exposing him to sunburn, you know. Yeah, and I I just uh, was really concerned because he, he took off quite a quite a few limbs, so I had to very uh, diplomatically say, "Well, maybe you were a little." You ag- could have been worse. <laughs> you were, you were a little <laughs> aggressive, nice. a little aggressive, because I'm hoping that there will be a, a, some time for those uh, for that citrus to recover. Hopefully, we won't get a, a, a late frost, and and he'll be he'll be home free because the tree. The main thing is you want to prune as soon after the frost as you can because you want to give the tree time to recover. Uh, and put on some new foliage before the sun comes. Talking trees on a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. John Eisenhower and Sarah Maitland, both ISA certified arbors for Save a Tree. And we were talking about pruning deciduous trees, and I... I saw a note on here that you have on your talking points that it's okay to prune the more vigorous evergreens. Yeah, it's 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 okay to um, you know we normally want to leave evergreens alone, especially frost sensitive trees like citrus and others uh, during this cooler time of the season. But if you have some v- more vigorous trees, it's not uh, 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 it's not out of um, out of bounds to be doing some containment pruning, some minor gr- grooming. Uh, a little cut here and there just to kind of give general shape to some of the trees that are getting a little bit rangy. You know, our more vigorous trees in Arizona, because we simply have a year-round growing season, uh, uh, can just defy your ability to keep them under control by only pruning them once a year. So if you're going to be pruning some of those more vigorous trees in May and June, well, you know, a, a winter pruning might not be a bad idea. You know, come back in this time of year, do a little bit of shaping, and kind of keeping those under control. And then you'll do the more heavy pruning later in the later in the year. So it's all about dosage, and and about species too. But those more vigorous trees uh, don't feel bad at all about getting out there during the winter and doing a little bit of trimming on those as well. Let's get to Dan, who's got a question about a 36-inch box tree, tipu tree he planted. Welcome to the broadcast. Good morning. Yes, sir. So we planted uh, four tipu trees about three weeks ago, 36-inch box. And I mean, I I'm, have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to planting trees. So I just put down some mulch and I got some uh, some growth um, stuff from uh, Moon Valley Nursery, and that's about all I've done other than trying to keep a deep watering on them. Um, I know they're going to go through a shock period, um, but I could I could definitely use some advice on how to make sure these trees survive. Um, I would suggest that maybe um, who planted them for you, usually they'll give you a watering guideline um, along with that planting. But the biggest mistake people really make is in the planting level, making sure it's planted at the correct level. And then also water. Um, Your water, you want to keep that root ball moist, um, but not wet. And so it does tend to need to dry out a little bit. Overwatering is probably the biggest mistake with newly planted trees. And the, the soil here really holds moisture more than you think it does. Um, I wouldn't think you need to do any kind of fertilization right now. Um, I would wait. Yeah, if you know you've gotten water down to the bottom of that root ball uh, this time of year when it's so cool, you likely won't need to water for another week or two at, at the very earliest. So yeah, be sure you're not putting water on top of water on top of water. That's a um, a, a recipe for... Uh, fungal pathogens to get active and start attacking those roots and 
you don't need that um, with a new a new plant, especially tipus too. They're going to be a really vigorous uh, uh, plant. And as Sarah said, if it's planted at right at soil grade, you want the the root call the root collar dig down around the base of the tree, right at the trunk where the trunk goes into the soil. Dig down around there and, and look for those very first roots that start radiating outward, and that should be right at the soil level or slightly above. We like to even you know sometimes plant our new trees slightly above grade uh, to allow for settling, uh, which naturally occurs in the next in the first year or so. But if if you're down too far below grade, be sure you, you you're not um, going to be allowing soil to collect around that base of the tree because that's also a, a difficulty with uh, uh, new tree plantings. We appreciate the call. Good luck with your new tipus. And we've got a few minutes left here. I know you wanted to cover sooty canker. Well, this is a great time of, of year to be pruning some of your uh, deciduous trees because winter's a, a good time to kind of prevent the, the spread of disease because the trees are quiet. It's a cool season and it's normally dry. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it, it's a uh, kind of a de- disease prevention is another one of the benefits of that pruning. One of the diseases that we find really commonly in a lot of smooth bark trees is a, a, a pathogen called sooty canker. It's a, it's a primarily uh, airborne uh, 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 fungal pathogen that attacks the bark of trees, and then it eventually gets through the bark and invades the cambium and destroys the the vascular flow of water and nutrients in the tree, and um, it, it can be really devastating if you get it into your landscape. It's a um, generally it's a smooth bark trees like your your elms, your um, your mulberries. Uh, it's got a ficus also a lot in ficus this year. A lot of ficus trees. We saw, we've seen a lot this last couple of years. It really gets active growing. Um, in the summer, but it's usually in the cool in the in the, the 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 wetter months of the year when the the germination takes place and it starts getting active. So uh, you need to just be really careful, especially in those wet times of year. Once it gets into a landscape too, it can get into pine trees. We've seen it in uh, one of our customers has a bunch of mulberry trees, and 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 then we've seen it also in in even some Tacomas uh, recently, and then then also into a Chitalpa. In the very same yard, we could kind of see it was radiating out from a, an area in the yard where it was quite active. And it's so disappointing because it's uh, once it gets into the larger diameter wood on any plant, it's it's pretty hard to control. It usually will kill the, the, the tree. A lot of times it'll enter through pruning root wounds. And so we, we, we spray our tools between each kind of cut on trees like that. You can cut down below the sooty canker sometimes and get it out but it'll look like a dead branch with the leaves almost retained and a a black um if you rub it you know it's almost like a a charcoal briquette in your hand that's where it gets its its name sooty canker yep thanks for spending your saturday morning with us if somebody needs an arborist save a tree s-a-v-a-t-r-e-e.com and you can go online and schedule with isa certified arborists